0: Welcome to the radio broadcast of Pineview Baptist Church, a growing community of faith in the Belfast community of Goldsboro. We are located at 3357 U.S. Highway 117 North in Goldsboro. We invite you to find out more about our congregation by visiting us at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. Join us now for our weekly message.
1: If you have your Bibles today, we're beginning a new sermon series, and I invite you to turn with me to uh, the last portion of the Old Testament, to the book of Nahum. Um, last, well, earlier this year, uh, we actually, it was the end of last year, and maybe the very beginning of this year, we preached through the book of Jonah. And we heard the story of Jonah being called to Nineveh, running from God. Well, I chose Nahum because it's sort of part two of that story. Years have passed, and God again sends a prophet to speak to the people of Nineveh. And we're only going to look at one verse of Scripture today. uh, The very first verse of the book, chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, You know that anytime I begin a new book study, we always spend that first Sunday digging into the contextual things. We talk about the The author and the date of the writing. We talk about the major themes, and we're we're just sort of going to do a a broad overview today of what we're going to learn the next three or four weeks as we study the book of Nahum together. So it may not be the most exciting sermon in the world, but I do believe that moments like this are important. I believe it's very important to have the context of what's going on before we jump into uh, the passages of passages of Scripture themselves. So Nahum chapter 1, verse 1, read it with me. It says, an oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, of Elkosh. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, of Elkosh. And I'm calling this sermon series, Our Refuge, or we could call it God, Our Refuge. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Mark O'Donoghue is the vicar or pastor of Christ Church Kensington in London. In a commentary I was reading this week, he wrote these words, I felt that they would be an interesting way to open up this study of the book of Nahum. He writes, "...although it weighs in at only three chapters and punches well above its weight, Nahum ranks as one of the least preached books of the Bible. Whenever or wherever I preach Nahum, I ask people to raise their hands if they've heard a sermon series on it or if they've read it recently." My experience, in addition to a recent trawl through preaching websites, reveals a dearth of sermons on Nahum. The sad reality is that hardly anyone is thinking about or preaching this book. And when we read it, it's not difficult to see why. I want to start with that question today. Have you recently read the book of Nahum, or have you ever in your life heard a sermon series on the book of Nahum? If so, just raise your hand. You have, okay? All right. I'll be honest with you, I've never heard a sermon series on the book of Nahum. Never one time in my life. I've read it because it is my practice. Uh, Not every year, but normally every two to three years I will read through the Bible in its entirety. So I'm very familiar with the writings of this prophet, but I've never preached it. And I've never heard someone else preach it. I've heard it referenced in various sermon series. I've heard verses um, that have been alluded to, but never an entire sermon series. So we're going to jump in for me for the very first time preaching in an expositional way through the book of Nahum. This very same writer, Mark O'Donohue, he lists seven reasons why he believes that churches and pastors should preach through the book of Nahum. I want to share those seven reasons with you very quickly. He says, preach Nahum so people hear the sequel to Jonah. Nahum is set approximately a hundred years later after Assyrian generations have passed. They've come and gone. And apparently that genuine repentance that they had experienced in Jonah chapter 3 is now nowhere to be found. It was a very short-lived repentance. So preach Nahum so that people will hear the rest of the story. Secondly, he says preach Nahum to sharpen people's understanding of God. Nahum 1 and verse 9 says this, what do you think concerning the Lord? That's a very important question and one that each and every one of us should be asking on a regular basis. It sharpens our understanding of the character of God as we read and study this book together. Number three, he says, preach Nahum to help people appreciate God's jealous anger. God is love, everybody loves to say. And He is. God is the very essence of love. God is perfect love, agape. But He's also holy and righteous and a jealous God. And He's rightly jealous for His creation because He is the Creator and He has a right to be. And so this book, I pray, will help us understand that jealous anger. His fourth reason is to preach Nahum to persuade people that God cares powerfully about justice. Now, that's a buzzword in our culture today. We're not talking about social justice. We're not talking about race relations. That is not what is in his field of view here as he says that God cares about justice. But this book reminds us that God does care greatly about justice in this world. Real, actual justice He is grieved when when people are unjust in their dealings with one another. He is particularly grieved when there is injustice committed against His people. It reminds us that God's anger is powerful, that it is just. His fifth reason is to preach Nahum because it offered solid comfort from an uncomfortable God. Amen. Only a powerful God who knows, and cares for His people can be a stronghold for them when suffering strikes, when difficult days come. He says to preach Nahum because it encourages us to be more grateful for Jesus. Amen. There's only one man who could stand before God's judicial scrutiny. Only one man who could measure up. Only one person who could perfectly obey His heavenly Father. And our only hope we'll see throughout this study is to turn from our rebellion and to take refuge in Christ alone. The One who took the cross in our place. And finally, His seventh reason is to preach Nahum to help people press on for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nahum reminds us that the end will come. It will come for every single one of us. But it also reminds us that Jesus will win and that we are not to give up. Here's a description of the book of Nahum. This book announces God's response to human wrongs, whether against God or against other human beings. In your bulletin today and also in the Uversion app, I don't have anything on the screen today. I just took a break this week. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't even have the last hymn on the screen. You're going to have to turn and open your books today, okay? But in your bulletins and also in the Uversion app, you will see an outline of the entire book. Let's just notice that together very quickly. Chapter 1 deals with God's character. We see the jealous God who speaks, the sovereign God who defends, and the righteous God who judges. As we move into chapter 2, we will particularly focus on God's judgment, how God rescues his people, and how he fights against his enemies. And then chapter 3 will sum it all up with the annihilation of Nineveh, the people who refused to honor God and to repent of their sins and to turn to Him. My outline today is the same that it always is when we begin a new book study. You see it there in your bulletin. The first point is the writer and the date of the book of Nahum. So let's dig into that for just a few moments. And there's plenty of room there for you to take notes in your bulletin if there's something that jumps out at you and that you want to go back and revisit. But as far as the name of this book. It is obviously, it's obvious from verse 1, chapter 1, that it is named for the prophet who is writing these words. It is written by Nahum of Elkosh. And his name literally means compassion or comfort. He's writing a book about wrath, about an angry and vengeful God. But his name means comfort and there's an important point for us to take away there and we're going to get into that a little bit later. But his name means compassion or comfort. We don't know anything about this author in great detail. We know very little about his life other than that he is from a town known as Elkosh. Even the location of that hometown is uncertain. We just don't have many historical records about it. But based on the quality and the substance of his writing, it's sort of evident that he was closely associated with the Judean royal court. He had some kind of workings perhaps in the court, in the royal house. As far as dating the book... We know that His prophecies occurred at some point between 663 and 612 B.C. You say, how do we know that? Well, firstly, He reflects on the destruction of an Egyptian city known as Thebes. And that was destroyed in 663 B.C. And so we can surmise that it was no earlier than that event... But he prophesied of the fall of Nineveh. And we know from historical records that that occurred in 612 B.C. Most historians point to a likely date of somewhere approximately around 650 B.C., maybe a little bit earlier, because Assyria began to weaken as a a regional power. They began to weaken around that time. And so that's what we know about the writer and the date of the book. Now let's look at the purpose of the book. There's two things that I see here. Uh, Firstly, Assyria was a dominant power. They were reigning and ruling during this time in that region. And in the second half of the 8th century BC, Assyria had expanded its borders. They had Uh, taken over, so to speak, several uh, surrounding nations, countries, and they had absorbed Judah as sort of a vassal state of Assyria. And as a result of that, the people of Judah were required to send taxes to this government. They were required to send soldiers to serve in the military of Assyria. And also they were... Stripped of many of their natural resources. Their their resources were being exploited by the Assyrian king and his people. And so there's many injustices that are taking place on the part of the Judean people. The people of God. They needed hope. And so that's sort of a theme that we're going to see. the, The powerful versus the weak in Assyria and Judah. We're also going to see the theme and the purpose of God's judgment throughout this book. Nahum described for the people of God the coming divine judgment that's going to put an end to the violence of Assyria. And he anticipates in his writing the fall of that, that great city, that fall of that great empire. And he's representing it as he's writing as if it's already occurred. That's something that we see a lot in the, uh, old, uh, the old Testament writings, the, the prophets. We also see it at times in the New Testament letters, the apostles speaking so confidently about something that God has inspired them to write about that they're writing as if it's already happened. May we trust our Lord and His Word in that very same way. It's a message of comfort. Again, His name means comfort or compassion, compassion. He's declaring that God is going to bring about perfect justice. But it won't come in our own timetable. It will come in God's timetable. And of course, there's a connection to Jonah. Jonah had preached in Nineveh earlier. He'd seen a great revival, a spiritual renewal. But now we know the rest of the story. It did not last. And the nation's sin and cruelty has led God's wrath again against this pagan nation not long after Nahum's prophecy. He highlights the truth that the Lord is the ruler over all nations. Let me say that again. Let's let that sink in in this world and the day and age that we live in. The same God who ruled and reigned during Nahum's day who was the God of the people of Judah and Israel, was also the God of the people of Assyria, ruling and reigning over them even though they had not acknowledged it. And that same God, brothers and sisters, is ruling and reigning over our world today. Not just America, not just Israel, but Iraq, Russia, Afghanistan, and every other country, whether they acknowledge His sovereignty or not, our God rules and reigns. And that's why we can look at this sermon series with that title and say, yes, God is our stronghold. God is our refuge. After years of living in the shadow of Assyria, the people of Judah would have been relieved to know that God was working on their behalf. And I pray that we will see the same thing in our own lives, in our own world. As we look at this world, we see a great deal of injustice. And we're coming into an age and a period where I believe much of that injustice is going to be directed at God's people, at His church, And the comforting message from Nahum to Judah stands as a reminder to us today, God has not abandoned His people. He has not left them to their own devices. He is not distant. He is very near. He is a very present help in times of trouble, it says in the New Testament. And He will not tolerate injustice. He will not tolerate wickedness forever. And He will not leave His people without hope. And so those are some of the purposes of the writing of Nahum. Let's look at the themes in Nahum. God's wrath, that is an obvious theme throughout the words that Nahum has penned. What I would encourage you to do today and this week, and I would even encourage you to do this ongoing for the next several weeks, because I believe there's great value in this, is to read, it's three short chapters You can sit down and probably in 15 minutes you can read the entire book of Nahum. Do that. Do that several times throughout this sermon series. Become familiar with the words that he writes and the themes that he's writing about. Hide this word in your heart so that you will have the hope that God is our refuge. God is our stronghold. But you're going to read about God's wrath, an obvious thing, but also God's patience. Jonah had discovered that God was willing to forgive Nineveh. He was willing to forgive any nation that would repent and turn to Him. And let me just say this, America is no longer a Christian nation. And America needs to repent and turn to Christ. Every nation in our world needs to repent and turn to Christ. And if we do, we will find a patient and a loving God who is welcoming His people into the fold. However, his patience has limits. And eventually, as we will see, he will move to judge the sin in Nineveh. Nahum noted in chapter 1 and verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. So God's wrath, God's patience, God's compassion. In contrast to the violent judgment against the people of Nineveh, God serves as a stronghold, it says, in the day of trouble. He is a stronghold for His people. It says in verse 7 that He knows those who take refuge in Him. Nineveh had experienced His grace through the reluctant preaching of Jonah. And He had promised that Judah would be rescued after a time of punishment. So God in this story is being true to His Word. He is a compassionate God. And Nahum's words remind us that God takes no delight in judging humanity. He wants people to repent and turn to Him. But that requires humility. It requires the gift of repentance to be poured out into our hearts by God Himself. An important note here about God's wrath and God's love I want to share a couple of quotes with you. This morning I pulled out my favorite study Bible, which is my Spurgeon study Bible, the Prince of Preachers. They call him that for a reason. And I was standing here looking through some of Spurgeon's notes. Here's what he comments on the book of Nahum He says, Here's a man of God in the midst of the overwhelming flood, standing up and saying, The Lord is good. The Lord is good. There are some persons who, even in their theology, do not believe God to be good. It cannot be, they say, that the wicked will be cast into hell if God is good. Have you ever heard people say that? The Bible says God is good. Well, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, there's a very simple biblical answer for that. There are no good people. We are all sinners by nature and by choice. We all deserve the wrath of God, but in His compassion and in His mercy, He has chosen to save those who will repent of their sins and trust in Him. So how do we reconcile this idea of God's love, yet God's wrath, His anger? Listen to this from Tom Constable. He says, One aspect of the message of Nahum is what it says about God. Nahum teaches the reader that to believe in God's love is to be sure of His wrath. He does not really love. If God is never angry, He does not really love. His anger grows out of His love. Can you look at sin, pride, oppression, and cruelty and not be moved? Then you do not love. Do you not care that Christians are being persecuted for their faith and are being killed daily in over 50 countries? Do you not care that pride is keeping people from acknowledging their need from God in our country? Do you not care that women are being abused and children neglected by fathers who are so selfish that they think only of their own pleasures? If not, you are unloving, he writes. Therefore, if God cannot burn with hatred towards sin, then He is a God incapable of love. Amen. To believe in His love is to be sure and certain of His wrath. That's the Bible. That's good theology. That's how we reconcile the love of our great God with the wrath and the anger of our great God. God's love and compassion always interprets His wrath. The final theme that I'll mention is the theme of hope. Ultimately, Nahum's message was directed to God's people in Judah more than to the Assyrians in Nineveh. And it may have been a glaring condemnation for the pagan empire, but the hope, the hope that it represents for the people of Judah cannot be overlooked. In a sense, Nineveh's fate was sealed. Their time to repent had come and gone, but Judah needed to hear that God still cared, that God was still there. He was still inserting Himself into world affairs for the benefit of His followers. He, and he's still doing that very same thing today, saints. Psalm 22 and verse 28 is relevant here. David wrote that for kingship belongs to the Lord and He rules over the nations. Amen. Here's my final point this morning as we think about the context of this book. Key verses. Here are some things that uh, should really stand out in your mind as we study this book for the next couple of weeks. If you have your Bibles open, uh, look at them with me. Verse 2 of chapter 1. Nahum wrote that the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. I want to read this from MacArthur. He says that this attribute, often used of God's burning zeal for His wife Israel, emphasizes His passionate reaction against anyone guilty of spiritual adultery. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. Nahum is drawing a picture of Yahweh as a God who is greatly jealous for His own greatly jealous for His chosen people. In other words, He desires the welfare of His people. Now, I'm not talking prosperity gospel. I'm not saying He's going to give you everything you want, but He desires good for His people. Now, sometimes that means we've got to go through. We have to go through difficulties. We have to go through hard times. Judah is a vassal state. They're being controlled, they're being dominated by the Assyrians, by the the king, by the Ninevites. It wasn't a good time for them. That wasn't a pleasurable experience, but it was for their good. God is a jealous God, but God desires good for the welfare of His people. Verse 7 of chapter 1, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, He knows those who take refuge in Him. And then one other verse, chapter 2, verse 13. He wrote, Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall no longer Be heard. In this verse, we see the absolute omnipotence and the sovereignty of our great God. That He is above all nations, all peoples, and that He will destroy His enemies. In other words, God wins. He rules, He reigns, He has won in the past, He will continue His winning streak into the future. Thanks be to God. Here's our conclusion today. God's discriminating anger and vengeance against pride and cruelty arise from His great love for His people. Amen. God is our refuge. He is a very present help in times of trouble. He promises to provide a refuge on the day of judgment for anyone who humbles themselves before His Almighty Hand. The predominant image of of God that we see in this book is that of a divine warrior. One who triumphs over all things. He triumphs over wickedness and injustice and over the enemies of God. So God wins. And as we close this morning and as we begin to approach this study together, may we do so with great humility, and with a spirit of
0: submission. If you would like more information about Pineview Baptist Church, we invite you to follow us on social media. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. There you will find information about our service times, upcoming events, directions to our church, and videos of our Sunday services.